All right, it's 12 o'clock Eastern time, and uh, welcome to our uh, first attempt at a, a podcast. I appreciate you all tuning in. I'm going to be watching the uh, the chat uh, box or whatever it is. If you have questions or issues you want to talk about, that's the best way to send me a question. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to try to uh, uh, to address some things that are going on to basically update and to, to uh, uh, try to provide you with the information about the OJCC and workers' comp generally. And, uh, and we'll see where that takes us. Uh, I wanted to start by uh, you have to keep admitting people. I'm sorry, I'm going to get better at this, I promise. So uh, things to know about uh, upcoming days. Uh, I'd like everybody to remember that March 1st, uh, the OJCC is going to be back in Tallahassee at the First District Court of Appeal. And we're going to be uh, doing perspectives from the practice. Uh, Judge Tom Hedler has been our chair of that program uh, for 2024. And I think he's put together a very dynamic and interesting group of folks uh, who are going to be presenting on uh, perspectives on uh from a lot of different uh, avenues. But uh, for example, this year for the first time, uh, we're gonna have some of our emerging leader uh, workers' comp practitioners joining the panels. Uh, we're gonna have folks from the First District Court of Appeal. We're gonna have various judges. And I think it'll be very educational and the price is right. Uh, as always, it is free. And uh, and we really enjoy doing it. And we enjoy seeing you there. So we'd love to, to have you come out. Uh, the other announcement I've got is uh, coming up in April, the 2024 Workers' Comp Section Forum will be April 18 through 19. Uh, that's going to be another great program in terms of education, but also in terms of seeing our uh, judges and mediators on various panels and programming. Uh, the best way I can tell you to find that uh, agenda is search on Google or whatever you're using for WCCP uh, Forum. And you'll find that rapidly, and you can look at the entire agenda. Um, one of the things we're doing at the forum this year that is new is we're going to be hosting the uh, statewide judicial nominating commission on that uh, Friday morning, the 19th. Uh, so from about 9 to noon, and we've got uh, judges who are up for uh, reappointment. And um, and so those will be interviewed uh, there at that meeting, the judges who are up for reappointment are Judges Anthony, Medina Shore, Weiss, Grindle, Mooneyham, Clark, Johnson, Hedler, and Judge Walker up in Pensacola. So it should be an interesting experience. If you've never been to a statewide nominating commission meeting before, uh, I think you might find it uh, very interesting and educational. So we'd welcome you to be there. Um, we're also looking uh, downline to the fall uh, repeating our workers' compensation uh, OJCC Academy. So if you um, are interested in that, that's for lawyers with uh, generally less than seven years of workers' compensation experience. Uh, we don't care how long they've been practicing law, but folks who are new or newer to workers' comp uh, is our target audience. Uh, the committee is still working on the location for that and the date, but it's likely to be in October uh, 2024. Great program uh, that we started in 2023. So again, I'm trying to uh, to keep an eye on the, the chat box. If anybody has got uh, questions or issues that they particularly want to talk about or 
uh, think about. That's the place to put them. Um, what do we have uh, going on that's worthy of uh, mention and discussion? Uh, some updates or thoughts from the uh, from the clerk's office this week. Um, if you don't have a social security number or don't want to provide us one, uh, that certainly is your prerogative. Uh, but if you're not going to put a social security number into the uh, petition for benefits form, we would appreciate you not putting in all nines or all zeros. Uh, that just sort of throws us off. It causes us extra work. If you don't want to provide the social security number, which is your right, please just leave that blank and move on to the next box. Why do we want that number? Um, you may see from time to time orders correcting name. Names are not unique identifiers. Uh, believe it or not, and Google will help you with this, but I'm not the only Dave Langham out there. And so if we end up with uh, someone filing a petition or a request for assignment of case number, and you're putting in that name, uh, it may very well be that we've had a case with that individual before. And the social security number is a unique identifier that helps us to uh, make sure that the case gets with the same judge that the prior case was with. It also helps us if, we, if we're looking at it and it appears to us there's been a name change, and that can happen for any number of reasons, folks. You might just change your name. Uh, you might get married. You might get divorced. It's all pretty obvious, uh, but it helps us to know that. If the injured workers had a prior claim, then we know that the uh, uh, claim either has a social security number on it or they've been assigned a dis, uh, division assigned number, a DAN. So you might ask your client on intake if they've had prior claims. And if so, you might go ahead and look up their DAN, D-A-N, uh, so that you can let us know that that uh, what that is and, and how to uh, tie it in so the cases end up with the same judge. Uh, pet peeve of everybody in the system, uh, everybody I talk to hates all caps. Um, we'd rather no caps than all caps. Uh, of course, we'd prefer the grammatically correct use of, of capital letters that they taught us all. But uh, the all caps is, uh, is a bit annoying, and particularly so when you're doing docket remarks. Uh, some lawyers tell me they like things to stand out on the docket but it really is uh, troubling to folks. And so if you could refrain from doing it, it'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, got a question about the perspectives uh, uh, regarding the uh, perspectives program in Tallahassee on March 1. Uh, can it be made available by Zoom? Um, I love questions like that. Anything can be done. The question is what it would cost. And so we are looking into uh, our ability to either record a portion of it uh, that we could rebroadcast in a setting like this. I don't think that we will be able to uh, expend the money that it would take to live stream it. And that has to do with technology that I'm not entirely uh, familiar with, but it has to do with tapping in microphones, cameras, et cetera. And, uh, it would be difficult, but we're looking into that. And so the answer today is perhaps uh, we'll have some rebroadcast, uh, but I doubt live participation remotely. Uh, we've specifically have moved that to the March 1 date to try to uh, not be in conflict with some other programs. Uh, the Fort Lauderdale, uh, Broward County section has a uh, meeting 
as does the West Palm Beach uh, bar, and we're trying to not conflict with those. What else is going on? Uh, Social security numbers. Um, if you want something changed on a case, uh, we, we're getting a fair number from time to time of uh, telephone calls and emails to ask OJCC. Ask OJCC is a great place to pose questions, uh, but not substantive questions. Uh, we're not going to be able to give you legal advice. And, uh, and the answer to most substantive questions is it depends on the judge, the assigned judge. And you all know the best way. I've been singing this tune for 20 years. The best way to get to the assigned judge and try to get a decision is a motion. That doesn't mean it's got to be a lengthy motion, but a motion is the way to go. Motion signals to the judge that you need relief, and that's going to be the best way uh, to get you there. Trying to watch that chat room. I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to talk for, for a couple of minutes about the uh, the mediation privilege. Uh, we do get some confusion in a couple of perspectives. Uh, number one, from time to time, we get uh, lawyers who are subpoenaing our mediators, and they want the mediators to come testify at a hearing. And uh, I tend to point out to folks that 44025.3b specifically. Uh, says that mediators will not be called to testify. And there's an argument out there that that might only apply to private mediators. Uh, there's an argument it applies to all mediators. Uh, but uh, be prepared for that uh, potential. If you do send a subpoena or a request to one of our mediators to testify, uh, you may uh, see an order to show cause or something similar to it uh, to get us the answer to the question of why. Uh, there may be very good reasons. Uh, maybe it's an authentication of a report issue. Well, that's a good reason. Um, testimony is no different than an affidavit. Uh, we see here recently some folks are asking mediators, private and uh, state, to issue or uh, complete affidavits regarding what went on at mediation. And an affidavit is testimony in written form. And so uh, you may see the same result. Uh, you may not. In terms of a lawyer's practice, you have to do what you need to do uh, to protect your client's interest. I'm not telling anybody to or not to do anything. I'm just telling you that there's the potential uh, that you may be asked to explain. The other aspect that we look at, um, at privilege from is what goes on in mediation. So, um, is that privilege absolute? Uh, I would suggest to you that it's it's absolutely not. And if something's going on in mediation that disturbs you, uh, that troubles you, uh, you're certainly welcome to communicate with me and to tell me that you've had a mediation. Uh, it's with mediator XYZ. And the problem you have is the use of language or the problem that you have is the time spent on opening statements or whatever it might be. Uh, don't give me a case number or a case necessarily, but tell me what's going on in the mediation process that is helping or not helping you and what your suggestion is to do something better. And that way we can work on process. Certainly if people are using language in a mediation that is causing distress for a lawyer or a client, we need to know about that. And so that's not breaching the mediation privilege to tell me that mediator XYZ or client XYZ is using inappropriate or has used inappropriate language. 
the only way we can address a problem like that is if we know about it. And obviously, with the, the mediation privilege, we're not going to sit in the mediations and, and eavesdrop on what's going on. So if you or your client are feeling in any way uh, demeaned or insulted, uh, we need to know about that. And uh, the best way to, to figure that out will be to give me a call. Uh, if you don't want to call, you could send me an email, however you feel best. Uh, but I'd be happy to talk with you about it and try to open uh, a dialogue and figure out uh, what we might could do that would be better uh, or different. Uh, where are we seeing our challenges in terms of, uh, of paper processing? Um, time and again, we are seeing things filed uh, that uh, folks look at and they can't figure out why it was filed. Uh, great examples are cover letters or correspondence to the judge. Uh, the 60Q rules specifically say that we're not going to file correspondence to the judge, and yet every day we receive that. I know some of you are thinking the, the judges are sending out correspondence. What's that all about? And I would tend to agree with you. Um, I think parties need to send motions, file motions, and judges need to enter orders. Uh, there are going to be exceptions to those rules, and we know they're out there, but Understand this from the perspective of the staff in our offices. Uh, it, when they see the word motion, that's a signal to them that they need to probably uh, talk with the judge or forward this to the judge in terms of a, a substantive response, be that an order or a, a, a hearing or whatever it may be. Uh, letters are probably not going to signal that kind of uh, response. And so while you may get relief from sending a letter or a note, uh, you're, not, you're not predisposing yourself to get a rapid uh, response and a reply. So I think you help yourself if you stick to motions. Um, problems in paperwork, uh, we, we see oftentimes that the numbers don't match. And so the, the, uh, the number in document A uh, says $2,000, but the, the number in document B that's attached to it says uh, $2,300. The obvious question is going to be which one of these numbers is correct, and that that is a, a issue or a problem that's going to slow down the processing of whatever it is you've sent in. So double check before you file, do the numbers match? That's a pretty simple thing to look at and make sure that you're getting that uh, in place. The other thing to check before you file is signatures. Uh, have you signed the documents? Not just the motion, but everything attached to the motion. And time and again, we see that things are not signed uh, and they're being filed and that's gonna slow down the processing. It's either gonna get you a response uh, or a denial. Um, and that is what it is. We're seeing oftentimes now where something is submitted that has been signed and notarized and that's appropriate. And then if there's a problem with that document, uh, we're seeing staff or lawyers who are altering that document, that document that's been notarized, and they're refiling it. And we have no way to know whether the person that uh, signed that document when it was notarized knew of, approved of, or considered that change. And that's going to be problematic. When someone signs a, a notary jurat, they're attesting to the accuracy of a document. And when you change the document after they have sworn to its accuracy, 
you may very well be creating a problem that you may just not want to deal with. Uh, it's awfully uh, tempting to, to go the expeditious route and just resubmit that document. Uh, but it also presents the potential for significant problems down the line um, if that injured, injured worker that assigned an affidavit or that employer that signed an affidavit uh, comes to, to find out that something was changed after they signed it, that could certainly present problems for the, uh, for the lawyer uh, and or for the staff. And that's, that's an issue we just need to be conscious of. Uh, some folks have noticed that we're, we're dealing with issues of uh, judicial workload. I think we've addressed that to a great deal across the state. Uh, with the consolidation that we've gone through under uh, first Judge Antonacci and then Judge Newman. Uh, as most of you probably know, but we should mention, Judge Newman uh, resigned from the uh, Division of Administrative Hearings in December. Uh, he's gone on to a, a general counsel position over at Citizens Insurance. And so we now have our interim director, uh, Darren Schwartz, who's been an ALJ for uh, over a decade and do you think about that in your character as you're acting then? somebody is muted let me fix that all right i apologize somebody was bleeding in there um so we welcome uh judge schwartz as i was saying he's got um, over a decade of experience uh, as a an alj uh, and he's got uh, more than a decade of experience prior to that in the practice uh, of uh administrative law and uh, and broader. And so we think that uh, that he's got a pretty good idea of who we are and what we do. So will there be more consolidation in the future um, as we try to adjust workload and we try to uh, uh, actively engage with the community? And I would say that, uh, that I suspect there probably will be further consolidation. I don't know how much. Uh, but we're starting to look at whether our, our facilities are being appropriately and effectively used. And so uh, I would I would ask you to to consider um, how often you're going to one of our comp offices. It may be very important to you emotionally that you have a comp office down the street that you could run to if you need to, uh, or at least a couple counties over. Uh, but if these offices are not getting uh, foot traffic and we're not having live proceedings in them, I think there's a likelihood that they will uh, either shrink uh, or perhaps even disappear. And that potential's out there. Obviously, with the switch to Zoom mediation, um, we're not getting a lot of mediation Zoom or, or foot traffic. Uh, occasionally, folks do still come in for mediation, and we want to be here for that. But uh, we're going to have to be effective and efficient with our budget dollars also. Uh, time and again, I have folks ask, is there an alternative to Zoom mediation? If you want an in-person mediation, uh, you can request that at any of our district offices. So if you're scheduled for a Zoom mediation in March with uh, Mediator ABC, and you'd, you'd rather be live in District XYZ, the thing to do is to contact a mediator uh, that is close to XYZ and see if you could switch to that calendar for a in-person mediation. Uh, or you could contact your assigned mediator, ABC, and say, we'd like to be in person. What can you do to help us? And that'll generally stimulate an email to me telling me that the parties in this particular case would like an in-person mediation. 
and we'll get you into a district office, or if there's not one handy, uh, we'll get you in someplace for a, an in-person mediation if that's what you desire. Uh, where would that be? Well, it might be in a county courthouse. Uh, it might be at a court reporter's office. Uh, it might be somewhere that's not as secure as those two, but those are going to be our preferences. So how do you get that? Uh, contact the mediator. If you're not having luck with the mediator and you want in-person, then go back to what the original statement was. Anytime you're looking for relief, file a motion. Tell the assigned judge that what you'd like is an in-person mediation. Uh, tell the assigned judge why, and we'll get to work and try to figure out a way to accommodate what you need to get what you want out of the process. Uh, at the end of the day, that's essentially uh, what we're trying to do is help you get through the process of any particular claim or petition for benefits. Um, when, you, when you want to do a change of mediators, uh, because you're having trouble with the schedule, everybody should know that in EJCC, you can easily look up the uh, calendars of all the mediators in the state. And so if you're trying to reschedule with mediator ABC and you can't find time on her or his calendar, you can look at all of the mediators, find one whose calendar you can fit on and contact that target mediator, not your assigned mediator. Contact the one that's got the open calendar at the time, the date, time that you'd like. Do so jointly and say, dear miss or mister, we need to use your, uh, your accommodation. We need to use the date and time you have for such and such. Uh, would you take our mediation on? And once that mediator says yes, they're going to take care of having it switched in our database system. Uh, they may ask you to produce an amended notice, certainly, but they're going to get it taken care of. You don't need the permission of your assigned mediator to reschedule with a different mediator. Um, if you want to change mediators in a case permanently, then you should probably address that with the judge that you're assigned to so that we get a change in our database of more than just the calendar setting. And, and that makes sense. Just trying to make sure that this uh, chat room is uh, what it is. And it is. So you can move your mediation uh, to where you want. And, and why might that matter? Uh, you, all lawyers get to know their clients and they get to know what their preferences or their predilections might be. Uh, and it might help you if you have a, a mediator that's former military or if you have a mediator that understands Spanish, or if you have a mediator that, that uh, used to be in this industry or whatever it might be, you all get to know these mediators over time. And it really makes sense that if you, if you think there's one that would really help with your client, be that the injured worker or the employer, and you think it would be helpful to be with a particular mediator, well, then contact that mediator and see if they would take on your case at a specific date and time and leverage the fact that you think that mediator is particularly, for whatever reason, the right one for your case and your circumstances. Of course, talk to opposing counsel or the opposing side, but it, this makes it much more flexible in terms of you getting to the people that may be able to help you. And at the end of the day, that's what mediation is supposed to be about, is helping you uh, and getting you a resolution or an outcome uh, that you're uh, at least satisfied with. A lot of folks aren't happy with the outcome of mediation. I get that. 
I'm watching the chat box. I'm not getting a lot of questions here. Uh, so just remember, if you've got questions, uh, put them in the chat box. And I'll do my best to keep my, uh, my eyeballs trained over that way periodically. Uh, if we continue this podcast, and I hope to, uh, we will probably have somebody uh, sit in on this and help me with the chat box and the other technical things. Uh, and I'm going to do the best that I can. What else in terms of, uh, of hearings? We've had folks ask from time to time, well, you know, I'm in Pasco County. Can I have a live hearing in Pasco? Or uh, I'm in Sarasota County. Can I have a live hearing in Sarasota County? Well, obviously you can. Uh, the statute 440.25 says that you can uh, have your, your hearing in the county where the accident occurred. So how do you accomplish that? Uh, again, we're right back to that same question. If the judge has scheduled the hearing to be live in a district office uh, or by Zoom, and you don't like the way it has been scheduled, you would approach that by filing a motion and say, judge, it's scheduled this way. We'd like it this other way. And that might include being in a specific location. Uh, and again, if that occurs, we would try to get you set up at a county courthouse uh, potentially a court reporter's office, uh, but we're probably going to go where there's security just for everybody's uh, well-being and comfort, uh, peace of mind, if you will. Um, but you're welcome to ask those questions, and we'll try to work with you to get you uh, that process working. There's a question in the chat box that is uh, two pages long. Wow. Okay. Um, EMA fees. The party requesting an EMA must pay the fee, and if a judge appoints an EMA on their own motion, the carrier must pay the fee under the Benucci rule. Okay. Uh, claimants, in order to preserve their appellate rights, may file a notice of conflict hinting at the need for an EMA without actually requesting an EMA by motion. Okay. Uh, so this results in the following scenario. The claimant files a notice of conflict filed by notice of a motion hearing listing a notice as the motion, okay? The judge appoints the EMA and the employer carrier must pay the EMA fee even if the EMA findings su support the EMA's position, the carrier's position. In my opinion, Bonucci creates an opportunity to motion for an EMA without actually motioning for an EMA. All right. Well, that's an, an excellent question. I think it probably does. Um, I, and I think that's been the state of the law for some time. So there's the, the idea of filing a motion. There's the idea of the notice. And there's, of course, the, the fact that EMAs, at least under our current statute, are permissive, not mandatory. And you'd have to get into a discussion with the assigned judge about whether the uh, the mandatory language change last year in the legislature is substantive or procedural, and uh, and the assigned judge would have to make a decision about that, and then uh, either appoint because it's mandatory or perhaps appoint because of the discretion and, and the parties have convinced the judge that that's appropriate and necessary. So it is, uh, the EMA continues to be a challenging part of our law. Uh, the Benucci question is certainly part of that uh, complexity or challenge. But let's also remember a, a big part of the challenge is, uh, and this is getting worse, 
there's a shortage of doctors in Florida. And when I say a shortage of doctors, I, I do mean EMA providers, but it's not just EMA providers. Uh, we do not have enough physicians in the state of Florida, and that's true in primary care and the specialties. And different organizations in our legislature are looking at ways to perhaps try to remedy that. But in the short run, uh, there just aren't enough doctors. And so the cost of services, whether that's treatment or whether that's uh, evaluation in an EMA or an IME setting, uh, those prices, I think, are going to continue to uh, be pushed upward by the supply and demand of the situation. The uh, uh, Where is the best place to see all cup upcoming workers' compensation events? You know, I'm not aware anymore... Um, of anybody that's posting a uh, an event calendar, uh, we try to, in our uh, uh, blast emails, to highlight things that are coming up. Uh, we send those blasts out about once a month. They're on our web page under publications, and they're called broadcast or blast emails. Um, if you're not receiving them uh, by email, uh, you're welcome to email me and I'll try to make sure that you're on our distribution list. It goes out to all of our registered users, uh, but you could check there. Uh, if you think that um, that having a, uh, a list of upcoming events would be helpful to you, we could look at trying to put something like that up on our website, uh, but it would be something we'd need to hear from people. So if someone was hosting an event, uh, organization XYZ, uh, we would need them to sort of contact us and say, we're having an event on June 3rd, and that way we could post it. Um, so if you think that's a good idea, uh, shoot me an email and suggest it. Um, someone else is dropping off but said, uh, thank you for doing this, and I, I'm happy to do this. I appreciate it. I wish we had more questions. Um, Rachel Givens will go down in history because she was the first person to tune in for this uh, podcast. So thank you, Rachel, uh, and thank you all for, for tuning in. Um, no more questions popping up here. Uh, other things that we might talk about in terms of, uh, of professionalism, um, a big focus of our, our OJCC Academy has been professionalism. Uh, but it just occurred to me one of the things I didn't mention at the top of the hour in terms of events uh, that you might want to look at, or not for yourself perhaps, but for others, uh, the workers' comp section has a uh, has their trial practice seminar uh, each uh, spring of an even-numbered year. And so 2024, they've got one coming up, uh, and that's in our blast email from December. Uh, and it, it's an excellent multi-day program that really teaches the nuts and bolts of how to try a case. We are really seeing issues and challenges with uh, with folks and their ability to try a case. And why is that? Um, if you want to listen to the critics, and I don't, but if you want to listen to the critics, it's because uh, lawyers don't do a good job. I don't buy that. Um, I think the problem, the challenge is that if you don't do something periodically, you're going to come out of practice with it. And I think our trial volumes around the state are not where they once were. I think there's an, an, a lot of resolution by settlement and stipulation. 
And so as a result of that, I think that uh, lawyers are not trying as many cases as they once did. And as a result, I think they're tending to fall out of practice and they tend to forget things. Um, you may have seen a, a door plug fell off of an airplane out in uh, Washington or Oregon this last week. And if you read those stories, uh, it's intriguing. The uh, When the door fell off the airplane, the cockpit door flew open uh, and the, the laminated piece of paper that they have that's their sort of checklist uh, was sucked out of the cockpit. And so here you are at 16,000 feet and things are not going as expected. And read the stories. What do these pilots do? They reached for a manual that they keep in the cockpit and they opened a book and they had a checklist in the book of when the alarms go off and we've got a depressurization, here's what we do next. These people fly every day. Uh, fortunately, they don't have a decompression every day. Fortunately, you don't have a trial every day. It sounds somewhat juvenile, perhaps. It's not. Make a checklist. If you're going to try a case, sit down and plan out how you're going to try the case, what your elements of proof are, and be prepared to lay that out for the judge. Uh, time and again, I hear about lawyers that have tried a case and they've missed one of the elements. Uh, they took the deposition of the doctor and they did not ask, uh, are your opinions held to a reasonable degree of medical certainty or probability? Well, that's an important question. Or they forgot to ask, uh, has the claimant reached MMI? And if so, on what date? That's an important question. Um, you know what those questions are. And, and you may think, well, I've been practicing law for X years, and so I don't need a checklist. But just two weeks ago, I, I got a, a phone call from a judge who was trying to explain to me an odd situation where a lawyer with better than 25 years of experience forgot to ask the $64,000 question in a deposition. That leaves a hole in the proof. And so how do you deal with that and, and respond and win your case? Well, you're going to have to play catch up because you forgot to ask the question, but maybe don't get to that point. Uh, maybe making a checklist and making sure that you're getting each of your elements down uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, what are the boxes that I would put on my checklist? Wow. Um, the, the kickers are things like reasonable degree of medical certainty with the uh, with the doctor, uh, with any fact witness that you're taking testimony from, you're, you're, I think, really missing the boat. If you don't ask them the simple question, are you taking any uh, alcohol or medication today that would impair your ability to understand me or to respond? Uh, these are things that you need to know. Um, saying things like, if, if you, uh, answer my question, I'm going to presume that you understood what I asked. So if you don't understand, please tell me. Uh, these things are in, important in terms of, uh, oh, what's the $64,000 question? That depends on what the case is. Uh, the case that I got the call about last week was, doctor, in your opinion, uh, what are the injured workers' restrictions on physical activity? Okay. And that's the foundational question so that you can then ask the vocational expert, is there work that this injured worker can do within 50 miles of their home? 
And if you're trying to get permanent total disability benefits, you've got to have those two questions answered. And if you don't get those two questions answered, that's the $64,000 question in, in that case. Uh, if you want uh, medical care, then you ask the doctor, is it your opinion that, that we should do surgery on this claimant's knee, back, shoulder? The doctor says yes. You want to ask, do you hold that opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty? Uh, that could be the $64,000 question. Uh, is the work accident the major contributing cause of the need for treatment or the treatment you've proposed? That could be the $64,000 question. It comes down to what you're doing in your case, okay, whether you're claimant or defense, and you need to ask those questions that track the statute so that you're putting together your puzzle for the judge. Uh, you think about a lawsuit, it's a lot like a puzzle. Uh, you're walking in front of a judge who's got sort of a blank slate. Maybe they've got the border built and kind of understand something, but you've got to fill in the spaces. You've got to make the pieces fit together. Yes, the restrictions are this, this, and this, according to the doctor. And the vocational expert says with restrictions of this, this, and this, and the claimant's vocational background, she or he cannot find work within a 50-mile radius. Well, that's what the statute says for permanent total. And so you're putting those pieces together. So when it's finished, the judge should be looking at a mosaic, at a, at a picture that you've put together to show the judge the path from where the case is and where you want it to get to. And that's true whether you're the claimant or the defense. You're simply putting together a picture so that it makes sense to the judge and the judge can then rule in your favor. If you leave out those questions, okay, you're, uh, you're asking for indemnity benefits, okay? Well, if they're impairment benefits, you need to ask if the injured worker's at MMI. Then if, if she or he's not at MMI, well, maybe she is at MMI. Maybe she's not. If only we'd ask the doctor. Well, in that instance, you look back and you say, well, gosh, that was an important question. So those are the things you, you look at the statute you're trying to work in, whether it's 440.13 for medical or 15 for indemnity, and you build your punch list. And then almost always with a doctor, when you get finished, you're going to ask, do you hold your opinions expressed today to a reasonable degree of medical certainty? And get that on the record. Um, it's not easy trying cases. Uh, they can be nerve wracking. I would suggest to you that uh, a instantaneous decompression at 16,000 feet can be probably as uh, stressful, right? So what can you do when something is stressful? be prepared. Uh, those two pilots went to the book, right? You need your checklist so that you know what you're going to do. That will help you also when you, you know an element of proof and you've got a live witness when you get what you need, that the, that the seatbelt was or was not on, then that will help you decide whether you're going to call the next witness about that fact. And that'll help you when the judge says something to you to the effect of uh, how many more witnesses are you going to have? How much longer is this trial going to go, right? You might get that when we're going to take a break or uh, the judge is trying to figure out what the rest of the day looks like. Well, if you've got your checklist and you can look at it and say, yes, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that, I do or don't need to call this other uh, witness. 
And so, Judge, I, I think I'm going to be done after this witness. Or, uh, Judge, I, I'd like to take a 15-minute break, but I think I may be done. I'd appreciate going over my notes. Nothing wrong with those kinds of requests. Uh, considering we now have statewide mediation, can we post the bios? We certainly could. Uh, that had never occurred to me. That's an excellent suggestion. Bios of mediators. I think that might help you to find some folks that uh, that might relate to your case. And so I think that's an excellent suggestion. We'll get to work on that. Uh, we've also been asked to list um, contacts for the various judges. And that's a project that we're working on with our website uh, to try to get you a, a better breadth of information available in terms of contacting folks. But again, the best way to contact somebody is through the EJCC system. Speaking of EJCC, I'm getting a lot of uh, interest um, about the fact that our petitions for benefits uh, now for the, uh, uh, the claimant usually say, instead of an address, they say on file. And I've got a fair number of folks who are sort of perturbed about that. I understand. I get it. We are collecting that data. Any registered EJCC user can go into EJCC. You do not have to file a notice of appearance in a particular case. Any adjuster that's registered, any lawyer that's registered can look up the injured worker on EJCC and right on the front page, we've got that address and that phone number information that was provided to us. Uh, why are we doing that? Um, unfortunately, what we're told is that there are a fair number of people in this world that are uh, not particularly upstanding individuals, and they are uh, trying to take advantage of the fact that those petitions can be accessed on the World Wide Web to uh, gain access to uh, contact with uh, these injured workers. And so what we're trying to do is both uh, satisfy and meet the requirement of the statute that we're getting that information. We're also trying to uh, hopefully protect those injured workers a bit uh, from the folks out there that would treat them poorly and, and try to interfere in their lives in some way. Um, we're hoping that that's working. If, if, you, if you find that it's a problem, uh, I'd, I'd really love to hear from you. We did this move because we perceived a problem when we're trying to make the system better for everybody. If it's not better for everybody and we need to tweak it and work on it some more, the best thing that you could do would be contact me and, and help me work through how we could do that. Um, at the end of the day, uh, hopefully what we have is a better dialogue. And what we're going to try to do with this podcast is take uh, your questions and your ideas. So over the course of the next month, uh, before the, uh, uh, the second Wednesday of uh, February, uh, email me with your questions or call me with your questions. Uh, if you have a question that you don't feel comfortable calling or emailing me about, ask any of the mediators the questions and say, would you pose this to Judge Langham? They'll send me an email. What I'd like to do is get an, an inbound series of issues and thoughts that you're having, questions you'd like to discuss, and then I'd like to sit here and talk about them uh, in this kind of, of methodology. The best phone number to contact me, I have to look, they changed my phone number. It's 850-806-0420, um, and you're welcome to... Well, there comes somebody right now. 
I should have put my phone on do not disturb for this uh, for this broadcast. Um, but one of you decided to call right in now. Thank you for that. Uh, leave a voicemail and uh, we'll try to accumulate uh, ideas and thoughts and uh, try to uh, get together in this sort of format monthly. And I really want it to be about what you want to talk about. So uh, no further questions today. We've covered the things I have in my notes. I appreciate you all tuning in. Uh, we're going to post this on uh, YouTube. Uh, yes, Mr. Weinstein, it will be posted. Unfortunately, the person that knows how to do that is out ill today, so it probably won't be posted uh, until later this week. But as soon as I can figure out how to do it, uh, we will get it posted. Um, I'm not the technological guru that uh, that people want me to be, but I'm trying. So uh, that is correct. 850-806-0420. Yes. We'd love to hear from you. And my email is david.langham at doah.state.fl.us. It's great to see so many uh, familiar names up here today. And I'll look forward to seeing y'all back on the, the next edition of this on uh, uh, in February, second Wednesday in February.